the show is here. Yo, our mission is clear. It's time to change healthcare. Have no fear. Today is the day. This is the hour. Together, you know we've got the power. Drop the silos. We're all the same team. Patients, docs, nurses, tech, and marketing. How can anyone be satisfied with the way things have always been? Yeah, we've tried. So join us now. Join the revolution. Digital health is the evolution. Status quo, more like status, no. Yeah, this is the healthcare rap. Y'all, come on, let's go. Welcome to the healthcare rap, where we are ushering in the future of healthcare and the status quo no longer exists where we are challenging assumptions about marketing and technology, and we check yesterday's thinking at the door. Where truth drops like an atom bomb, and knowledge flows like Niagara Falls. Each week we challenge assumptions that have been holding back healthcare marketing, and explain how we can do better. Join us. This is the Healthcare Wrap. Welcome back. I'm your host, Jared Johnson, ready to share some more provocative thinking for healthcare innovators and digital teams. Here on the Healthcare Wrap, we believe that the healthcare experience has to change, and we're trying to do something about it. We can either stand back and let it take another 50 years, or we can jump in right now. And I think you know how we roll. We're not going to coast in neutral. We're hitting the gas. Come be a part of it. Each week, we talk about the topics that you need to know about and act on to be part of the digital transformation movement. We share tips on shifting the way that healthcare is experienced digitally and the backstage strategies for marketing, operations, and digital teams to drop the silos and stay ahead of the curve. We recently passed 160 episodes, y'all, and three years on the air. We're now in season five, which is our quest to answer whether it's even possible to provide the healthcare experience that consumers desire. So here's what's going to go down today. We have the flavor of the week about what the demand for telehealth really tells us. Have telehealth visits leveled off because consumers don't want them as much? Or is it because so many of them don't yet provide a good enough experience? I'll talk about that. Then we celebrate Zane's 25th episode as co-host as we look at where we are in our journey for season five. We've learned a lot about how to create the experience that consumers want, and we'll hit on five key trends that are setting us up for the next phase of our journey. This episode is jam-packed, and we have a lot to share along the way. It's time to dive right in. You ready? Let's go. Flavor of the Week. What does the demand for telehealth really tell us right now? Have telehealth visits leveled off because consumers don't want them as much? Or is it because so many of them don't yet provide a good enough experience? If virtual visits provided a better experience with less friction, don't you think demand would jump back up? One data point I've heard is from Ed Marks on the Digital Voices podcast, which is a fabulous podcast, by the way. One study he found referred to the percent of ambulatory visits that were virtual. During the height of the pandemic, roughly 65% of ambulatory visits were done virtually. Now it's hovering around 15%. Granted, that depends on the study and the organization. Some are higher and some are lower. That's one data point, but it follows the trend that the percentage of visits have declined since the pandemic's peak. As usual, I see an opportunity to improve the consumer experience here. This topic also drew some fantastic discussion on LinkedIn. Jane Sarasone Khan said the following, Interesting to note that telemental health visits have not dropped off as much as physical health visits. When there's a need with no alternative, that happens. Virtual mental health and behavioral health services make so much sense for so many people long underserved by therapy. Kate McCarthy said, Not everything works in video or asynchronous messaging, and people deferred legitimate care during the height of the pandemic. There's a natural leveling off happening now, but as healthcare builds competency and digital engagement, ultimately most of our care will be virtual or digital in the future. Sean O'Sullivan said, For commercial patients, I think the technology is solid and simple enough for most to adopt. 
For seniors, it's a bit more challenging. 62% use a smartphone, but I know from experience that they may not know how to load apps or sign up for an account. Chelsea Reagan said, It's important to differentiate which types of telehealth visits are dropping. Is it virtual primary care visits or virtual urgent care visits? It may seem to hospitals or providers that their virtual visits are dropping, but when those providers are only offering their virtual services to existing patients and only via appointments, their patients, old or new, may be seeking out other virtual alternatives, such as self-standing telehealth vendors that can see a patient in minutes with no appointments. Today's patients are consumers. If you don't have it, they'll find it somewhere else. And Drake Pusey said, Not all visits are created equal. Some, like internal medicine follow-ups or check-ins, are not worth the overhead of driving in. Others, like physicals or dermatology or high-touch, happen more rarely. Right now, we're probably seeing a pent-up demand for that type of visit, and so we would see a shift. Clearly, this topic is important to designing the healthcare consumer experience of the future, which means it is worth a lot of focus. Let's educate ourselves as much as possible so we can build tomorrow's healthcare experience together. And that's the flavor of the Week. Well, folks, holy cow, for the 25th time, Zane is here on the program. I'm welcoming him. This is after a lengthy season five where we have gone on quite a journey. Zane, how the heck are you? I'm good, Jared. And congratulations on 25 episodes. You're putting up with me all this time. Well, you know, it feels like we're just getting going. Quite frankly, it feels like uh, we're just now figuring out where this journey is leading. And it's been some amazing stuff along the way. I can't believe, you know, looking back when we were starting to recall some of the guests we've had on and the conversations we've had, more importantly, it has been quite a journey. Absolutely. And I can't believe, I mean, I feel like we can talk forever about these subjects, but 25 episodes, a lot of content. So been great to bring some cool people on board hopefully bring our listeners on a journey with us and i hope we can accomplish maybe another 25 more or 50 or 100 i hope so too (laughs) there's nothing stopping us at this point i really like the the thought overall of there's a need to have these conversations the depth of the conversations we've had i think is the most interesting thing i think we knew a good starting point when we were talking about is it even possible to provide the experience that consumers have desired And the framing of the question itself has been something that I think has led to some of these conversations, not just saying, hey, what do you think about the experience? How are we doing that kind of thing? But saying, is it even possible? It's been a little tongue in cheek all along, but it's been meant to shake us loose from our old mindsets and really get us thinking in a new way to realize that if we just think about things in our own lane, like the the whole silo, silofication, I don't know, the, the, the siloing of all of these individual specialties on the business side of healthcare and on the tech side is one thing that has led to our current state. And I don't ever want to forget that because undoing those silos, dropping those silos is one of the main ways we're going to get out of it and get things to this next point. And yes, we kind of had to create silos of expertise along the way. There've been all these platforms we've had to learn. There's new tech that has emerged. We've had to like redo business strategies all along. But now we are experiencing all of it at the same time. And we are all living in a world where we as consumers, not just patients, are learning new expectations for how we expect things to go. Like this new uh, Yeti microphone that I just got. (laughs) I ordered it on Friday and it arrived five hours later. Like not even two days, like five hours later, like that night. I'm like, give me a break. I mean, 
you know, if my healthcare is not getting that much better <laughs> than, than shipping times, then we have a ways to go. So thoughts on how this season has gone, Zane, and then we're going to get into our kind of like our, our top five takeaways or, or themes that we've learned, but what top thoughts about the season so far? Yeah, well, I think what's really cool when we first started off, at least the hypothesis that I took was that at least current state, we cannot provide you know, that the, the healthcare experience that people want. And that was sort of my provocative side to stay on. And obviously within reason, you know, great care is provided in this country and Canada as well. But I mean, it's certainly not delivered in a way that I think is at the same level of other industries. And the reasoning that I took primarily was because of culture, because of the way or uh, provider-based systems are structured, and then and then some of the processes that run across. And I am happy to say, if I may, that I think a lot of our guests sort of validated that and would certainly agree with my point of view. So I don't feel alone in holding it. And it's been actually very cool to see how a lot of the guests that we that we've brought on, you know, whether it's you know Gina Upo from Toronto or Ben Tingi from down south, all of them sort of talk in the same sort of track. And a lot of the conversations that we have with each one um, connect with one another. And so it's been a very fruitful 25 episodes to help me certainly learn a lot. And hopefully for our listeners, paint a picture that's much more rich and dynamic for what's out there and what's possible. Yeah, you touched on a theme here, Zane, of us all kind of opening our eyes and seeing what's around us instead of being so zeroed in on the one part that we're trying to fix, even within the, the experience ecosystem, if you will, because we're getting good enough at these individual pieces and touch points along the way that the next step naturally was going to be, how do they connect anyway? So the thought of how we've been able to bring on people to help us kind of hone that type of thinking, I think is one of the, one of my takeaways as well. Yep, absolutely. Great. Well, let's dive into our kind of our top five themes, if you will, I think from the season so far. Mm -hmm. And I think the best thing about each of these is that, We've had additional thoughts, you know, they've caused us to think even more since we've had, you know, these guests or these conversations happening, that it's not just something that happened and we're like, yep, got it. It's like something that has continually gotten us to think even more on the topic. And I think that's a, that's a value of just starting the conversation and seeing where it goes, because you and I were like, well, maybe the conversation will go this way. And sometimes it did. And sometimes it went somewhere totally different. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the first big learnings for me is going back to really what I just said, which is a lot around culture, which I feel like a lot of our guests, whether they said it explicitly or implicitly, were talking about that. And so, you know, I think about, you know, people like Gina, who spent a lot of time talking to us about knowledge translation and how important it is to build community, which really what she's saying is how to build a culture where ultimately... You know, communities can trust the brand, be it a provider system or a technology company, to help them, to help the community discuss, frame up, understand, and come up with solutions about hard topics. And so, you know, in Gina's context, she's coming from the academic world, especially. And so it's certainly within, you know, the academic's perspective to help frame up those discussions. You know, that may not always be you know, a brand of like a hospital system or a tech company may not may not always be seen as the player that can do that. But if they do it well, you know, perhaps there's some credibility in the community. So I thought that was really cool. And you know, certainly Kelly Gill, when he came to talk to us about recruiting, again, he may not have explicitly talked about it, but really everything that he spoke about ultimately landed down to organizational culture. And how we need to really think about shifting, you know, how we treat, how we design jobs, 
you know, what the culture of an organization is if we expect to attract and retain talent from the Silicon Valleys of the world to come and work in the digital spaces within traditional provider-based systems. And so I really appreciated how both those speakers came in to really get to talk to us about the human needs that ultimately shape everything else. Yeah, I think uh, Kelly referred to it as the digital health talent war. You know, the yep. fact of who's vying for this talent and that it's, you know, you've got the knowledge worker type, the developer role, the technical role, the technician, those who are always going to be sought after anywhere. And they're not even just being sought after from healthcare organizations. They're being sought after everywhere. And so you know, they're, they're being sought after by big tech and everyone else on the map. So you're going to have those who are being sought after from a talent standpoint there. But then you have this whole other segment of those with healthcare experience and or experience design, human-centered design background, maybe a marketing background, a business strategy background, or maybe a tech background, you know, where they were involved in implementation or they were involved in selecting, you know, they were a project manager, whatnot. There's so many different roles that I think this adjacent talent field has emerged as an entity into itself, if you will. And so that means the, the way to retain that talent and the way to expand and grow your own career kind of takes on a life of its own. And, and it helps us to understand that there are others who are trying to understand the, the X's and O's of that playbook. It's a new playbook for yep. digital health talent and it does come back to culture. Yep, yep. Well, and now, you know, even as you, you talk openly about it, I see another connection to, you know, when Katie, Paul and Drake are with us, you know, they talk about a lot of things. Actually, that was one of my, if I had to say it, that was probably one of my most favorite episodes. I remember just being, you know, sitting up in my chair and just being in awe of everything they were saying. But one thing that they said is, you know, one of them, I can't remember which one, but was going on and on about how, you know, terrible healthcare marketing is on the provider side, at least traditionally, and how there's such an opportunity to tell an amazing story because of the work that we do. It's so meaningful, like saving lives, right? And going with that for a minute, there's a connection to what Kelly told us because because these organizations are so meaningful, if they were in, in terms of the work that they do, if they were able to work that story ultimately into their culture and ultimately into their, you know, call it their talent brand, you might be able to retain, you know, some of these, you know, digital types, designer types who are actually well paid elsewhere, but they'll come work for, you know, provider systems because the work is meaningful. If we could articulate that brand correctly, which we're having trouble doing. Yeah, well, another thing that gets stuck and lost in all the operations, like you were saying at the very beginning of of the original hypothesis of why your vote was, no, we can't provide the experience that is being desired right now because we're not operationally ready. I'd say the same thing with talent. We are just not operationally prepared to even explain the value, the meaning, you know, the why, the mission. And that's unfortunate. I do think that's another result of the silofication of all these new, you know, roles that weren't necessarily even around, you know, five, eight, 10 years ago. There are so many new roles. I mean, who would have guessed that there are so many data scientists being sought after from the marketing standpoint, you know, or the digital standpoint versus the strategic support, strategic design, you know, standpoint. So, yeah. Well, I think that's connecting probably to another thing that we talked a lot about, which is this whole thing around knowledge translation. And, you know, we certainly hit it on again with Gina, who's the true expert in that. But we also hit it off a little bit with Dr. Austin Chang, where he talked about knowledge translation, but more so with the lens of like, who should we listen to and who's credible? 
in the industry. And so obviously he's a big TikTok star and has a lot of followers. But what I appreciate about him is he reminded us that just because you have a lot of followers or get a lot of attention on social media doesn't mean you're necessarily the authority. And I know we're starting to come out of COVID, which feels good, but I'm sure we will face another pandemic or another major health issue. And I just really appreciate his reminder that be careful who you listen to when it comes to disseminating health information and, and, and what knowledge you're taking from whom. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting. It was intentional that we started off our conversation in terms of which guests we brought on earlier in the season to discuss the digital healthcare experience. And we have the first chief medical social media officer, you know, talking to us about the infodemic and how to fight misinformation, health misinformation. And yeah, it was very intentional. It's the front lines, if you will, of what the provider's role is in this digital experience, because where do we look, where do we spend so much time as consumers, as, as people, as human beings right now, we spend it online, we are communicating with people, but we're being informed, we're being entertained. And so we're either being, I guess, misinformed or informed correctly one way or the other, but we are engaged. We are engaging so much content. You can call it what you want. Social media posts. We are spending so much time being inundated by it, but we are being influenced by it one way or the other for better or for worse. And so, yeah, the provider plays a huge role in that. And I think one of the other enlightening things that Dr. Chang shared was the thought of he takes that responsibility very seriously and very personally. And the amount of eye rolls he got when he initially came into this role and quickly made a space for himself on TikTok as one of the original TikTok doctors, if you will, and, and has had the fortune of having several videos there go viral, viral in his world, even in the healthcare world, getting over a million views, you know, for a video about, you know, gut health, you know, digestive health, <laughs> you know, uh, things you wouldn't normally expect. He has a lot of fun talking about uh, poo on the potty <laughs> on TikTok, and it, it's crazy. So, yeah, he got a lot of eye rolls at first, and then after a certain amount of time, months, and it's probably been a couple of years, you know, but the same doctor's coming to him and saying, okay, I'm not quite ready for TikTok yet, but I'm ready for Instagram. I'm ready, like, I'm ready for Twitter. Please help me. I know I need to engage people there. That's where they're spending time. Why can't I be there? I need to figure something out. And so, yeah, the evolution of the provider's role, I think, in the digital healthcare experiences is, is just worth pointing out. Like you said, that was episode, I, I can throw a couple episode numbers out here for folks who haven't listened to them all. It was episode number 148 for Dr. Chang. It was episode number 154 for Katie and Paul and Drake. It was episode number 157 for Gina, which again, I think we're going to come back to her in a couple of other these points too. But yeah, I mean, just Great insights because these all have to do with each other. These are all about the different touch points, how they connect together and what they influence and how they ultimately provide a reason for us to either be happy or not about our healthcare experience. That kind of leads me to the next one, Zane, which was the whole discussion about build, buy, or partner. Yeah, and it. yeah, this one started with Ben Tingy in episode 150, yeah. but I think it became a theme after that. Yeah, totally. And I think the thing that rocked me the most about Ben, and it wasn't something that I didn't already know, like I knew it, but he just brought it to my attention and made me realize it again. And that is when we think about solving for the you know consumer experience and the digital partnerships that we likely will need to need to get into. He pointed out he brought he 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 spent a lot of time with us talking through some of the 
the financial realities of just how much money is being invested into some of these, you know, emerging or, you know, already out there digital health solutions. And it's, you know, it's hundreds of millions of dollars in some cases. What I really like that you highlighted is there's no way that a traditional provider system has that type of cash to do. So it's, so it's the money and then also the talent. And so it leads me to really see that if any health, you know, any provider system or provider network wants to build a best in class digital experience, there's no way they can do it on their own. They must partner because there's no way you can, in my view, could be a competitor that has, you know, 100 million, 200 million dollars in the bank. And so I thought that was really an interesting insight that he brought to the table that makes me realize now that the future of health services um, is really going to require much, much stronger partnership acumen and managing you know, a set of vendors, a set of partners to accomplish what the organization and ultimately the community needs. A hundred thousand percent. I feel like Ben's conversation actually tied to one thing that Kelly Gill shared with us too, because Kelly was talking about, you know, the need for, in, in his case, you know, back to the digital health talent war. He made a comment though about how you can, you know, throw a rock at a problem that you can solve with digital health. Like there's no lack of things that digital can solve for us. So that's not the question anymore. And that, that used to be, it used to be like, can we make that better through some digital solution? He's like, that's not the question anymore. It's sifting through all of the options. And no wonder you get digital health startups that are a little frustrated because they think they've solved everything when they've solved, you know, one problem, they may, be, they may be doing it really well. It's not a problem that the solution doesn't work. It's the thought of how do you actually convince or, you know, make the case for that solution being more important than something else that the health system already has in the queue and already has an investment allotted to it. You can't just do them in isolation. And I have definitely seen a proliferation of digital health solutions that don't even take into account. All they say is, yeah, we've got an API for that. Don't worry. It'll, it'll tie to Cerner. It'll, it'll, it'll connect to everything. It'll connect to Salesforce or Adobe or whatever. Yeah, of course we've got an API for that. And they use that as an excuse to not pay attention to really the, the health system's ultimate needs. And so I think there's frustration on both sides when that isn't taken into account. Yeah, absolutely. Then, you know, one thing that I've brought to our listeners a few times at least I'm pretty sure I have is, and we talked about this when we talked about sunk costs, which is how how many innovation strategies and ultimately consumer digital strategies within traditional provider systems are really just pegged to the innovation strategies of their largest digital vendor, which is usually their EMR vendor. And how much of a challenge that is at holding back our the industry, in my opinion. Yeah, 100%. So you don't necessarily have... Across the board in, say, marketing, you don't have this widespread knowledge of what to do about that. Mm-hmm. You get stuck. And so I think that's a sticking point within the conversation of do you build buyer partner? You mm-hmm. get some folks at the table saying, well, all whatever it is, it just needs to bring us more patients through the door. And we're like, no kidding. Like, mm-hmm. Hopefully everything we're doing is leading toward that. So the conversation could be really short-sighted if it starts and ends with with a marketing leader who isn't well-versed in what it takes to implement this yeah. digital solution. And the yeah. fact that, yeah, there might be, ultimately it's going to be touching a patient. So there needs to be marketing involvement in it, but that's only one side. That's only one consideration. And that short-sighted conversation, thankfully is evolving in, in some pockets where we're starting to understand, well, we need to have a conversation, not just with the, the chief technology officer who's 
who these days is more likely the one who's involved in implementing solutions, making sure there's no downtime, everything's secure, like what the CIO traditionally did. That's more of the chief technology officer in a lot of systems now. So it's this future-facing CIO role, which now in some systems, now it's the chief digital officer. So a a hybrid of a hybrid. And, you know, we just have to learn as we go. No, I agree. And I think the risk that a lot of, again, traditional provider systems are going to run run into is if they're not careful, they're going to farm out their future to a vendor when really they should have potentially sought an in-house solution just to protect their market and competitive advantage. And one area where that's becoming very clear to me is hospital at home. A lot of health systems are trying to get into that space, you know, by brokering with a hospital at home vendor, which is really just, you know, at least from, you know, my cursory review who's out there, they're really just, you know, technology companies who bring all the pieces together, connect to your EMR and, and some of the advanced ones also provide some staffing. And so it's basically, you know, maybe 30 different, not 30, but, you know, a handful of remote patient monitoring solutions that they figure out, connect to your EMR and boom, you now have a hospital at home. The danger there though, Jared, in my opinion is, you know, we know that healthcare is moving as much as we can into the ambulatory space and then eventually up into the at-home space. And so, you know, there could come a day where a lot of, of healthcare business is being done at home way more than today. And so why would you as a health system want to farm that out to a vendor as opposed to learning how to do that yourself so that's part of your core business? Similar to the shift that happened maybe 20 years ago where you know hospital systems started to build out large ambulatory networks, ambulatory surgical networks. You know, imagine had they just partnered on those, then you know, had you know some other subsidiary or group develop an ambulatory network. Where would health hospital systems be today without their ambulatory network? dead in the water. I could imagine the same thing happening if, if they don't get a hold of this hospital at home market. Problem is it's complicated because it brings in every piece of everything we've talked about through this whole show and you have to solve for it in the home. So I don't know, anyhow, that's my rant. Yeah, no, I, I think you're going to run in, it's going to run into the same question, which is, well, at the end of the day, things like remote patient monitoring, which is a very big part of hospital at home, if you're nervous about it not being reimbursed in full down the road, you know, which is a valid question, very valid question. Some are going to be less likely to see the short-term benefits of even figuring it out to your point of like not leaving that to a vendor. There are some who are just going to use that as the reason to say, yeah, we'll just see how it plays out. And the problem is in healthcare, by the time we've made this industry-wide choice to just wait to see how it plays out, that's the typical way we do things things have moved along and the consumer's expectations have moved along and the tech has moved along and the talent who were leading those charges have also moved along. So it's a dangerous thing. Like I I understand in a lot of cases why there's some hesitance at at first to at least say like, how far down the road do we go? Can't we just wait it out and and see how it plays out? But that's the exact way we got into this mess. So. Yeah. 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 I think, you know, a lot of, incumbent players, what they're going to have to do in the next year or two is really boil down their identity to the fundamental one, two, three, or four capabilities that they can do that nobody else can do. And from there, rebuild and say, okay, this is our actual uncontested capability in the market. How do we then partner this capability with someone else, reframe it into something else? 
to guarantee that we are relevant in the future. That makes sense. And not only does that make sense, I think it's the key to being sustainable moving forward and not doing it with a blind eye towards how the digital experience is changing and the tech that, you know, that supports it and creates that experience uh, is evolving quicker than I've ever seen ever. So this, this next year is going to be crazy. I mean, 2020 saw record, record investments in digital health companies. You know, I know when we first started this show, we talked about, or we started it in January. So like in the mid mid pandemic, or at least recovery of the pandemic, there's a lot of discussion around, you know, will telehealth actually stick? And certainly telehealth numbers nationally, I think are coming down a little bit, but holding. But I have, you know, firsthand knowledge to a couple of health systems who their telehealth numbers are holding, you know, at a level that is, you know, significantly, significantly higher than pre-pandemic. And so I think the answer is that tele- that COVID certainly was a telehealth accelerator, not just, you know, for the length of the pandemic when, you know, certain health systems, you know, couldn't see patients, but it's going to last. Even if reimbursement falls, I think it's been adopted enough now into operations and is now being used by enough patients where they're going to want to continue to use that modality, which is exciting. It's really exciting. I think you're right. It's great to have the data to, to back that up because... I think even early on, we were saying it's not going to go back to, it was hard to see telehealth visits uh, going back to pre-pandemic levels one way or the other. They weren't going to stay up at peak pandemic levels, but the fact is you give people more choices. Some of those people are going to say that choice is more convenient for me. And hopefully that is enough to see more choices for hybrid I mean, it's not a clear cut this versus this, you know, in-person versus virtual. It is very much the devil's in the details of how do you do both? How do you offer for this type of follow-up appointment? Let's offer that virtually too, if you want. But then this other part, we still need to get, you know, some blood work or whatever, like that just requires a physical examination. So that part is still going to be in person. You know, how do we do both? But the question that should be being asked right now is how do we do both? How do we create hybrid care models across the board, specialty by specialty. So yeah, that's a great conversation that we've had. Hey, this is Scott Burgess from Healthcare 360, the fair and balanced healthcare podcast, exploring everything you wish you knew about healthcare, but don't. Join us weekly in an open, transparent conversation with some of the biggest names in the healthcare business surrounding this one question and one question only. Had you known there were other options to exhaust and explore before you travel down the traditional healthcare route, how would you weigh those options against what you think healthcare and medicine really is? For more information about Healthcare 360 and how together we can help transform lives, visit scotteburgess.com, subscribe to our YouTube channel, or follow us anywhere you enjoy listening. See you there. So just a a couple more themes here, I think, that have emerged and and one... We'll save the best for last, which I think is uh, another quote from Gina about knowledge translation is one of my favorites. But fourth here is the whole thought of moving past sick care as a business and as a care model and all the implications of that. So this definitely came up with Katie and Paul and Drake. That was episode 154 again, folks. But we did a lot of reimagining with, with that group. And I was just intrigued by a couple of the... I guess the assumptions that we were trying to get past the assumption that if we do everything that we're supposed to, that hospitals still play the same role 
in a consumer's healthcare experience that they have historically for decades. And if that's the case, then a hospital is naturally going to play defense and find reasons to not be interested in certain things that they think are competitive. And you even talk about hospital at home, right? And virtual visits. And there are plenty of providers who just aren't interested. It's, it's just a new way of doing things. Even that in and of itself, how different it is from the status quo. They don't want to get better at it. They're looking for ways for it to fail. Yeah. <laughs> they just are. But then there are those who are interested in and are naturally better in a virtual visit and they're, they're fighting for it. So the thought process that's going behind, going on behind the scenes, I think is the thing to focus on here. When we're talking about moving past sick care, this is all about the questions we're asking in, in boardrooms, instead of asking, how do we get back to pre-pandemic strategic priorities? How do we get those volumes that we wanted to hit? No one's going to get to a better place by asking that as the leading question. The question to me is how can we, utilize the best parts that have been validated in an accelerated way now. And I'm talking about everything from telehealth to remote patient monitoring to yeah, hybrid care models to can you even work in functional medicine, preventive medicine, direct primary care into your network, into your, your system and provide more options. That's the question I'd be asking. And yep. that's the hill I'd be willing to die on in a boardroom it just that the whole thought of that's where things are going. Yeah. So how can we either lead the way or be early on in our adoption? And how can we make the numbers work knowing that that's where we want to go? Mm -hmm. With a lens of personalization on all of it, I really liked, I believe it was uh, Paul who brought up where he made the analogy of healthcare's in this transition, analogizing to the computer, going from sort of that mainframe computer you know, one size fits fits all, everyone gets the same thing to now called the personal computer, where we're really now trying to personalize health services by setting and by persona or patient. And I'm so excited to be a part of that evolution. Isn't that cool? I mean, we're we're seriously we're gonna look back and say this is the time period where that was happening. And it's hard to see it while it's going on, but I do, I firmly believe that too. We're gonna look back at some point in the future and be able to say uh, it, that, that's what was happening then yeah. immediately after the pandemic that's what was happening and some health systems were doing it a lot faster than others some digital health solutions and, and startups were able to be a part of that and plug in their solution a lot faster and a lot more effectively because they've done the design thinking they've done the experience design yep. they have not just done it from a business check the box mentality and yep. you'll be able to tell it will bubble up to the surface. Those ones who are, who, who have thought about their solution the right way all along. You can tell right away. Well, I mean, look at great example would be Amazon care and they're now their entrance at the occupational health space. Like if you review their website, you can just tell by their website that they know what they're doing. And through this pandemic, they've been able to now launch a national telehealth network. They've signed, I think, three clients and growing, including providing occupational health services to their own employees. They're now working with Crossover Health for nearsight clinics. And they just announced that they're actually now going to be competing with the likes of Everlywell and Get or Let's Get Checked by launching a at-home diagnostic service. And so very quickly... They're picking up on, you know, concepts that we've all talked about where they're becoming that bigger platform, not just the provider through their telehealth, but now also 
the diagnostics partner through whatever they're going to create. And we, we know they're in the pharmacy space with PillPack and Amazon Pharmacy. And so it'll be very interesting to see how they continue versus, you know, incumbent health systems and health providers that are that haven't yet, I think, reached the level of sophistication that Amazon is bringing to market. Oh, yeah. The CEO of Teladoc saying, yeah, we're not worried. We're not worried about Amazon care. You know, it's not going to be a thing. And of course, I mean, time will tell, but to even be that dismissive of something that is very clearly consumer focused, like that's, that's the thing I can't get over. I think that's very, a very silly comment, especially when you think again, thinking about platform strategy where the value of a platform increases, you know, as the number of people that use it increase and as the number of products or services that are offered on it increase. And Amazon itself is just this giant platform in terms of Amazon Web Services and then, you know, Amazon, you know, the shopping site. So many people use it. Amazon Prime, there's more Amazon Prime members than there are people that go to church in the United States. Like That's a lot of people. And so that alone should, you know, send fear and shock and awe into, you know, any healthcare provider who thinks they're going to compete. And then, you know, connecting back to things that, Ben told us around finances, Amazon has so much money, they can afford to take any competitor underwater and hold them there till they drown and then just resurface, right? With still $200 million in the bank, no problem. And so I think, you know, Teladoc CEO better be very careful what he says because Amazon is a formidable player for sure. Yeah, exactly. It's the dismissive thinking that just gets me going every time. You know, I, it's funny. I, I finally got around to watching uh, The Last Blockbuster on Netflix last night. I don't know if you've seen that, but it's uh, it really got me thinking. It was all about the demise of, of Blockbuster Video. And yeah. uh, it's it's worth a, definitely worth a, a yeah. watch. But, but the other thing about Amazon, again, goes back to things we talked about this, this season is... Amazon is a brand that has a relationship with Americans and Canadians well, people all around the world every single day by virtue of what they sell. Right? You can interact with Amazon every day if you want. I know people that do. For traditional hospital systems and providers, you don't. You might interact with your health system once a year, maybe. And that is a huge, huge disadvantage. And so, you know, these everyday, everyday consumer brands, because of that relationship that they have, and again, Prime members who pay Amazon every month, um, they have a huge opportunity to convert that relationship into just about any service that they plan on providing, including healthcare. And so again, we'll see where they end up. Yeah, I think that was one of my biggest takeaways from Ben's interview as well about the companies that have a consumer relationship. That's the biggest check mark in Amazon's favor. Yep. I don't know any company that has nearly that type of consumer relationship with any of us. And so... Yep. To underestimate that just seems, like you said, it's silly. It's ridiculous. So the ones that might come close are your telecom providers, you know, where yeah. you know, years AT&T, you know, has been digging into my pocket every month and I trust them in that sense, right? Right. It's something you can't live without That's one right. or the other. So, all right. Well, the, so the last theme then, I'm going to come back to Gina. I think she wins for uh, most mentions in this episode. And it was because it was such a, a powerfully packed episode when we have her on. It's just Canadian. That's what it's about. I'm not going to question that. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to agree with that. Just fantastic thoughts. So there are two quotes from hers that I want to share, come back to, and then I'll uh, give a quick comment on it. But she was talking about 
How do you, again, how do you implement these disruptive ideas? You know, this is all about evidence-based literature, getting published, getting it into a journal. That's how you get an idea out there. That's how you get comments on it and just get, get something moving. But she talked about the thought of evidence doesn't always lead to anything. This is how she said it. She said, um, evidence doesn't always lead to action. Just because you know something or you know you could look something up isn't going to equip you with the motivation and the resources to bring that idea and implement it. That takes a bunch of people. That's a team sport. Like that just hit me over the head. And then it tied into this other quote where she was talking about just because you have a disruptive idea, that doesn't mean everyone's going to pay attention to it. The devil's in the details of how to distribute and operationalize that idea. And that takes a lot more communication that we kind of take for granted. So that ties to this thought of if you have a disruptive idea, you don't want to be seen as a threat in the ecosystem, which if you're not careful, it's very easy to happen. And instead, you want to be seen as a partner. So you actually have to give some thought to how do you do that? And that has to do with how do you share the disruptive idea? Who do you bring in on the idea? And are you truly focused on operationalizing it or at least validating it and then operationalizing it? Because the ideas themselves aren't enough. And getting past that, it was uh, seemed to be one of the, the themes that she kept coming back to. So this is under the guise of knowledge translation. And it really opened my eyes to... One of the main reasons that maybe progress has been slow in some areas is because we just don't pay enough attention. Absolutely. And what I liked about her too, she talked about you know, being trustworthy and being authentic and how it's okay as a brand to not know all the answers to questions, but being upfront about it and working in the community or with the community on a learning journey to come up with what those answers might be. So I know in a lot of the work that she does with Bowhead and Western University, they're spending a lot of time thinking through like future implications or ethical implications of AI and RPA and you name it. And there's not not yet perfect answers, but the community that she's leading through the brand of Bowhead and others is going to solve for that. And I think that that's really um, a sage counsel. For sure. And a perfect way to kind of put a bow on this season is just to leave us with that thought of how do we take these disruptive ideas and, and go somewhere with them? Perfect way to kind of sum all this up. We've had the fortune of having so many fantastic guests to get us thinking here. This truly has been provocative thinking. I've learned a ton. I know you have. And I'm looking forward to where we go from here as we, we have a few ideas of where where season six is going to head and where it's going to take us. Uh, I can safely say we're going to continue this adventure, the, this this journey. We are not at the destination yet. We have a long way to go and we're glad everyone can come along with us. Uh, Zane, final thoughts on season five. First, I'll say I'm glad. It sounds like I'm not fired then, right? I'm still part of the show, which is fantastic. There's no firing at all. And I, my goodness, uh, you've seriously taken this whole thing to a whole new level. And uh, uh, so so glad you've been able to be on this journey with us. Thank you for having me. No, I think it's been a great season. My mind is full of ideas. And to you now, or to what you just said, I think, the next question is like, how do we take some of these ideas that we've come up with and do something? I wonder if perhaps our next season could talk about like more tactically now, how, like examples of how tools to get us get that how, or sorry, get what we've discussed moved into action. That would be certainly something that I would want to learn more about and, you know, find people out there who could come and talk to our audience about it. A thousand percent. I love it. 
Zane, thanks as always. Uh, stay safe, stay well. Looking forward to hearing how, how things go for you in the day-to-day. I love all the content you keep posting out there on LinkedIn and Twitter. For listeners who are not following you, you need to follow Zane on LinkedIn and Twitter. Check out the, again, just tons of provocative thinking, just great thoughts of where, where things are headed, man. Appreciate everything you do for us. Thanks, Jared. Thanks for having me. Ed Marks here with Digital Voices, the only podcast for chief digital officers across all of healthcare and life sciences. Digital Voices is about the voice of the patient, the provider, the payer, pharma, big tech, retail, public health, really any part of the healthcare and life sciences ecosystem, that's the digital voice we wanna capture as we learn and break barriers across the entire spectrum. Join us weekly as we drop our pod. Hey, thanks so much. Thanks to Zane and thank you for listening. We hope you found some value in this conversation. And if you did, please, this is so important. Would you subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about this podcast? Healthcare Wrap is a member of the Shift.Health Content Network. If you enjoyed this podcast, you're going to love the other shows in the Shift.Health Content Network. And don't forget to subscribe to the Shift.Health YouTube channel featuring season two of Now What? Go check it out at Shift.Health. It's all free and available on demand. Until next time, keep marketing forward. Thanks. And that's a wrap.